Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we're kicking off a month all about the most important meal of the day. From sweet and simple to more sophisticated and savory, we'll cover all the bases as we head back to breakfast. First up, a classic bacon and egg quiche that fulfills one of our 20 for 20 resolutions to bake more pie. Then, We'll discuss all the ways you can use that breakfast baking staple, the muffin tin, for things other than muffins. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Friend, I feel like it's been forever. Welcome back. Welcome back, listeners. It's September. Here we are. Welcome back. Cooler weather. Back to school, or at least some variation of it. Yeah, I'm excited. Andrea, I know a little bit about what you've been up to this summer because I listened to your quick bites, of course. And listeners, if you missed any of those, Andrea and I did really short individual episodes in August when we were on hiatus. And we tackled our 20 for 20 baking resolutions, so I know a little bit about what you've been up to. But you know what? I thought you might be interested in some things I was doing outside of my quick bite repertoire as well. Yeah, absolutely. What were you uh, doing in your kitchen over the summer? I kind of had the summer of ice cream, Andrea. So (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a great summer to me. It was, London was setting records for heat this summer, unfortunately. Mm. And as I've mentioned in episodes in the past, my kitchen gets so hot that I literally have a cactus garden in my kitchen. Turning on the oven was the last thing I was interested in. I bet. But turning on my Cuisinart ice cream churn was no sweat off my brow. And I just want to tell you about two that I made. They were new to me and they were so, they were rad. (laughs) I mean, there's no other word for it. (laughs) I'm kind of laughing to myself because I'm recalling that last summer is when You became obsessed with Nigella's no-churn salted bourbon ice cream. And, you know, so it sounds like the the theme continued, all this of new contenders for first place emerged. So I can't wait to hear about it. And how would I love to tell you that, you know, Nigella's just went to the side, but instead I just carried her along with me. And so (laughs) (laughs) how can you have a competition without allowing the, you know, competitors to compete? You must, you must allow it. You you must have variety in your freezer is how I feel. Yes. There you go. Well, the first one, Andrea, is using the base from that Cuisinart cookbook. Yes. We've made the basic chocolate. Well, the basic vanilla is also really great just as a standalone vanilla. But it's also really, really good when you turn it into a cookies and cream and crush up a sleeve of Oreos in it. Oh, I can't believe you were willing to use precious Oreos. I know those are hard to get in London. You know what? I have to I have to stop you. I don't know where that idea came from, but Oreos are super easy to find. Oh, I think that I I that that I probably caused that rumor because I think for <laughs> some reason Oreos was on my list of things that you had to go to the American food store for and it costs like, you know, $12 a bag or something crazy. Okay, so Oreos are easy to source in London. No problem. And putting a sleeve of those crushed up at the end of the churn cycle, that was one of my, that was one of everyone's all-time favorites. So easy. 
But equally good is just that classic vanilla. So you can search on Cuisinart.com or the Cuisinart in your country. They have them internationally. And that's the classic vanilla. And it's really good by itself or with whatever you want to throw in. Is it an egg-based custard? No, it's like that chocolate in that it is heavy cream, whole milk, sugar, vanilla, maybe a pinch of salt. That's it. Mm -hmm. And then you you put that mixture in the fridge for a few Mm -hmm. hours, and then you churn it. So yeah, it's an eggless custard, which I love. It doesn't have condensed milk like some you see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that sounds good. Okay. Yeah, listener Craig is the one who told me about the Cuisinart cookbook. And it was so funny okay. when I asked him about which recipe he used for his Rocky Road. And he said, oh, just the one that came with the machine. Exactly. And I tend not to look at those books that come with the machines. I always just assume that there's some sort of add-in, but not really exactly. going to have great recipes. So good to know there's more than one in that Cuisinart book. That's awesome. Yeah, it's super versatile. Okay, this next one, Andrea, I thought of you all summer when I was making it because I know of your husband's love of peanut butter. Yes. I made the best peanut butter cup ice cream. I cannot stop making it. I cannot (laughs) stop eating it. It is a serious problem. It comes from a website I had not used before called Sugar Hero. Love that. (laughs) And it's, again, it's the heavy cream and milk, but then you use roughly a cup of creamy peanut butter, some brown sugar, some granulated sugar, some vanilla, and you melt the peanut butter down with the cream and the milk before you chill it. Okay. Okay. Andrea. Oh, my goodness. So good. And then you put in the mini peanut butter cups. You, like, smash them up and put them in. Oh, Wow. Oh, so it's a peanut butter base with peanut butter cups because you're right. This has my husband's name written all over Mm -hmm. it because when I've purchased peanut butter cup ice cream in the store for him, it's been vanilla ice cream Mm -mm. with a few paltry peanut Mm -mm. butter cups in there. And he has deemed that unacceptable. So, In fact, it's equally delicious because I know he's not a huge chocolate person. Right. It's equally delicious if you just make the peanut butter ice cream base and don't Mm. put the, the cups in. But since I love peanut butter cups, why not? chock full. Oh my gosh. Mm, That sounds good. Yeah. It was a really well-stocked freezer. And you know what? Summer's really not done until September 21st at the Equinox, so I'm going strong. (laughs) (laughs) I think I have some time to catch up then. Thank you. You That's awesome. Well, let me know what you were up to, aside from your quick bites. Yeah. So I became obsessed in late May with a chocolate chip cookie, Mm -hmm. which sounds so funny because, of course, that's something I make all the time, and it's not okay. really that big of a deal. Okay. But it was on the Instagram feed of a restaurant in New Orleans called Josephine Estelle. And it was one of those posts where it said, like, this is the cookie. And I looked at their menu, and, you know, sure enough, it was an item on the dessert menu at a hefty price. So I'm like, okay, this is okay. a cookie worth writing home about. And yeah. sure enough, when I looked at the recipe, I realized why this was such a special cookie. So it wasn't just a cookie. It became my summer project. <laughs> and <laughs> part of that is because it's pretty involved to make. Okay. And the other part is that it had some sourcing issues. Okay. The involvement piece is that the cookie recipe contains a cup of chocolate cookie crumbs. And you could just use store-bought chocolate wafers, oh. like the Nathan's okay. Famous Wafers or something. Right. But she also provided the recipe for the chocolate cookie crumbs and it was so neat because it's a a regular sort of cookie recipe with flour and sugar and cocoa powder and cornstarch but then it also has 
fennel seed and star anise. Ooh. And so it's just this really interesting flavor. You make those cookies first, and then you okay. crumble them up into crumbs, and then you make the chocolate chunk cookie recipe. And that recipe is uh, just absolutely one of my favorites because it includes oats along with regular flour. Mm -hmm. So with two cups of all-purpose flour, you also have two and a half cups of oats. I won't read you all of the ingredients. I'll put a link in the show sheets to the recipe. But then when it comes to the chocolate, so instead of chocolate chips, you use four ounces of dark chocolate, four ounces of milk chocolate, Mm -hmm. four ounces of white chocolate, and four ounces of blonde chocolate i'm picturing these cookies oh (laughs) yeah i don't know about you but reading that list of the four different chocolates got me pretty excited okay but tell me i don't actually know what blonde chocolate is neither did i okay i thought that maybe since you were a blonde you would but i'm glad (laughs) i should i mean obviously a deficiency on my part (laughs) glad to know i'm not alone so i wrote the chef, the pastry chef, her name's Brienne, and mm-hmm. she very kindly wrote me back. And I said, what type of blonde chocolate do you use? Mm-hmm. And she said she uses the Valrona Dulce okay. brand. Okay. So I went down to my local chocolate shop, Encore Teas and Chocolates in Olympia, Washington. And he had just a fabulous selection of chocolate. And he had blonde chocolate. Okay, But alas, he did not have the Valrona. He was out of it. And he said to me, now, Andrea, you know that blonde chocolate is really just caramelized white chocolate, so you could just make your own at home by toasting your white chocolate. Okay. I thought that would add a level of time and expertise to this recipe that I wasn't quite yet ready to tackle. So I just bought another brand of blonde chocolate, and I don't even remember now off the top of my head what it was. It might have been a Ghirardelli. Okay. I mean... Good old Hershey's makes a blonde chocolate when they introduced their gold bar for the Olympics, when they were introducing like a new bar for every medal or something. The Hershey's gold is a blonde chocolate. Oh my gosh, this has totally passed me by. So I need to clearly get on the blonde chocolate wagon. Yeah, I I like it. You know, of course, I tasted some before I used it in the cookie and I like it way more than white chocolate. It's not quite Mm -hmm. as sweet. It has some more, you know, toasty, caramelly notes. So Mm. I really appreciated that. I made that cookie multiple times this summer, and it went toward my 20 for 20 resolution of keeping a freezer full of cookies. I almost always had at least 12 to 24 of these cookies, and you make them the big size. So it's one of those things where you only need one, and they're just so decadent, so rich, so different. This was my summer of the chocolate chip cookie, I suppose. (laughs) I don't even think it's fair to call them a chocolate chip cookie. Like in my head, I'm like, oh, that sounds, you know, nice, but kind of basic. But what you have described I know. It's, is next level. It's very next level. And I've seen them. I think they called them a chocolate chip cookie on their Instagram story. And they might have used the phrase monster cookie. Mm-hmm. I've seen mm-hmm. them called um, chocolate chunk cookie. So, I, you know, it just depends. When you're buying the four ounces of chocolate, I think a lot of it depends on how you cut it up. If you sure. sliver it and cut it small or if you leave them more into chunks. I've experimented with both. I like the <laughs> chunks. <laughs> oh. Yeah. You know, what I think you should do here is make the classic vanilla ice cream and put it between a cookie. Oh, like an ice cream sandwich. You could even maybe cut it mm. in half if like two cookies was going to be too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You might need to experiment with that, or I will, vice versa. 
I'm willing to look into that. That is a great suggestion. <laughs> Thank you. Sure. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Oh, delicious. Well, we'll put all of those extra recipes, too, in the show sheets, um, which is episode 193, so people can take a little look at both of the cookies and ice cream. Listeners, September also reminds us of going back to school, and so Stefan and I are kicking off another preheated book club selection in September. Our book of the month is Lori Colwin's Home Cooking, and all you have to do to participate is read it, And then we will discuss it in our last show of the month at the end of September, and we'll post about it. And we would love to hear your thoughts as well if you read along with us. So again, that's Lori Colwin's Home Cooking, the preheated book club that we'll be talking about in episode 196. Yeah, and it's so quick and chatty. And if you are looking for just a nice mood-boosting memoir with recipes, which we always love, definitely pick up a copy and join us in episode 196. Andrea, it's our back to breakfast month, which I just kind of love that. We were like, oh, back to school, but like breakfast time. We both love (laughs) breakfast food. And I know we're going to jump into our first bake along here in a moment. But while I was recently researching some pumpkin scones, I know I was kind of, I was kind of like jumping the gun a little bit, but I just had a craving. Just a tiny little bit. I ran into a really well-curated list of fall-inspired breakfast ideas. I just wanted to share a few. It's from Jody, and her blog is called Meaningful Mama. And she has all kinds of fall breakfast bakes. So I thought it was perfect to mention during this month. It's really nicely curated. She's got lots of things made with pumpkin and apple and maple syrup and donuts, quick breads, coffee cakes, granola, smoothies, I just thought it was perfect to mention during this month as we're kind of sliding out of summer, sliding back into the fall baking, and also a lot of nice breakfast ideas there. So check it out. I will put a link to Meaningful Mama and the fall-inspired breakfast ideas in the show sheets for this episode as well, but it's, uh, it's just really nice. It's kind of a mood booster, too, if you just want to scroll through her pictures. I looked through the list, and I felt myself feeling fall coming on and getting happy. Mm-hmm. It was nostalgic. I came to a dead stop when I got to whipped pumpkin butter. (laughs) Did you see that? (laughs) I I did see that. Do you think, and I didn't look hard enough, so I don't know, is it like an apple butter but made with pumpkin? Because I've made that and it's delicious. Or was it like dairy butter but with pumpkin whipped in? The second. And she said in the header notes of the recipe, this is not like apple butter but with pumpkin. So apologies ahead of time. To people who are expecting that. This is a dairy butter, and I think it had some cream cheese in it as well. So it's more like a flavored cream cheese almost or a compound mm. butter. Okay. It just looks so good, and I couldn't stop thinking about making some pumpkin bread and then putting yeah. this whipped pumpkin butter on I top know. of it. Or perhaps like some gingerbread waffles with mm. pumpkin butter on top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perhaps. <gasps> Why not? <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> Yeah, I love this list. It made me really hungry and just really geared up for for fall baking, but also for breakfast baking. So check it out. And that leads really nicely into the introduction of our first bake along. Andrea, over to you. I know. So speaking of good breakfast bakes, how does a cheddar, bacon, and caramelized onion quiche sound to you? Perfect. Done. (laughs) Great. Well, that's what I am going to be making. This comes from a website called Good Things Baking, and it is a fairly straightforward recipe. I think I'm going to have everything in the house, which is always nice. 
totally. Starts with a nine inch pie crust, not a deep dish crust, it specifies. And so you're welcome to make your own. We've got numerous recipes on our website for pie crust. I myself like Mary Beth's Reliable Pie Crust. Or you can buy one, and that works out really well too. Yeah. And then half a pound of thick cut bacon, a medium onion, six eggs, one cup of whole milk, a little teaspoon of salt, half a teaspoon of ground black pepper, and the final touch, one and a half cups of sharp cheddar cheese grated. How do those ingredients sound to you? You know, they sound classic, but they're classic for a reason. These mm-hmm. are delicious, just bacon and eggs, breakfast food in in my mind. Andrea, I have a very strong memory. I, I don't know. I always associate quiche with you. I think for a while we were having house parties in Seattle, and was it listener Jeannie who would always bring quiche? And I associate that with being at your house. I think if anyone were to bring quiche to my house, it would be listener Jeannie. <laughs> Because she's just that kind of lady. She is that kind of lady. <laughs> and I, I do have a memory as well of her making a really good quiche. I don't make them regularly. I've said before, my husband's a little bit weird that for some reason he doesn't like quiche. Mm. And I've, I've narrowed it down to two things. So I'm hoping to overcome him mm. um, on this particular recipe. Yeah. His number one thing is I think he feels like it's just sort of a way to deliver wilted vegetables to him in sort of a savory wrapping. So yes, perhaps okay. a asparagus quiche or a broccoli quiche where the vegetables have started to wane and someone's like, oh, I'll just whip these into a quiche. So he finds that suspicious. Mm-hmm. And then the other problem is that I think for some reason I've often offered him quiche for dinner. Mm-hmm. And he is not a breakfast for dinner kind of guy. He wants breakfast at breakfast. Got it. That's why this recipe really appealed to me. When I looked at it, it has everything that he likes for breakfast, which is eggs and bacon and onions, but it's in a pie crust and with some cheese, which he loves too. So I think this one is going to be a big hit. I'm going to offer it at a breakfast or a brunch. It will be at the appropriate time of day in his mindset. (laughs) And I am not slipping in any wilted vegetables. Mm -mm. No. Fingers crossed, I think this one's going to be a big hit. The recipe itself looks pretty easy, although the most challenging step for me and some of our listeners might be step one, which is a blind bake. Right. So this is when you preheat your oven and you make your pie crust and then you fill it with pie weights. A lot of people use rice or beans. Stefan and I love to use sugar so that we ended up with some toasted sugar when we're done. Yeah. Then you bake it for about 15 minutes, remove the weights and bake it for another 10 minutes. Then while the pie crust is pre-baking, you go ahead and cook the ingredients. So you chop up your bacon and cook it in a skillet. Then take that bacon out and use the bacon grease to add the onions and saute those until they said soft and brown. I just love that. Mm. And then in a medium bowl on the side, you're going to beat together your eggs, your milk, your salt and pepper. Once your crust is done... You go ahead and spread those caramelized onions on the bottom of your crust, follow it with the chopped up bacon and the shredded cheese, and then pour the egg mixture over it. Put it back in the oven and bake it for another 30 minutes or so until it's set. Mm. It sounds pretty easy other than that, like I said, that first step of the blind bake. That's always a little bit of a challenge for me. I think this one is going to be a big hit. What do you think, Steph? I do too. I really like the layering that's inherent Mm -hmm. in this dish as well, how you layer the onions at the bottom and then everything else 
on top. Andrea, I like quiche any time of day, and I do like <laughs> breakfast for dinner yeah. also. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I also like a cold quiche for lunch or just for sure. maybe a, or a brunch, something like that. So in my mind, quiche might be a little extra work at the outset, especially if you're making your own pie crust, but it really pays off down the road because you've got leftovers kind of on call whenever you need them. I 100% agree. And quiche is one of those things that I will often order in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether it's breakfast, brunch, or like you said, like a lot of times I'll have it at lunch with yeah. a salad. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I mean, I love eggs and bacon any time of day. Yeah, so <laughs> Onions and cheese. I mean, what's not to love in this one? I, I tell you, I never grew up eating quiche. My friend Loyal listener Anne-Marie, of course, everyone knows Anne-Marie does our great theme music. Yes. Her family did like a blender quiche, which was pretty popular like in the 80s when we were growing up. And that's like a crustless quiche as well. So that's really where I started making quiches with a Mm. recipe that was passed from their family. And then, of course, why not put anything in a pie crust? So (laughs) I'm happy to, to do that too. Well, and with the blender, I'm guessing you might have had a little bit more almost souffle-like activity because it really whipped those egg whites up. Good point. I had not really thought of that. But yeah, of course, it must have affected Mm -hmm. the texture more so than a more dense quiche that you might get without using that. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Well, whatever. However, I've always really loved them and continue to do so. So I'm really looking forward to this review. And listeners, if you're listening carefully, you might have noticed that I am talking about baking this recipe while Stefan is talking about hearing how it went. As you know, our social gatherings have changed, and so has our practice of sharing food with others. And the two of us, are, we're just not comfortable making such large quantities in this current environment. So we're going to scale back our bakes a bit by taking turns with our recipes. So I'll be making the cheddar bacon and caramelized onion quiche. And in our next show, I'll review it and tell Stefan all about it. Yeah, we're just going to try a little bit of a different format during this time when we aren't sharing our food in the same way, we aren't entertaining in the same way, and just having a lot of food lying around didn't seem right to either of us. So we're going to try something a little new and see how that goes, and of course talk, as we always do, in in various ways about our bake-alongs with our listeners, with each other. So looking forward to learning all about this next week, Andrea. And remember, we'll have a link to this recipe in our show notes for this episode, which is episode 193, on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as over in our Facebook group. Andrea, we're so excited to be devoting an entire month to breakfast, but as listeners can hopefully appreciate, we can't possibly incorporate all of the tasty treats one might eat at this meal in just four bake-alongs. And muffins are a case in point. They're delicious, versatile, easy and quick, but since many bakers are already well-versed in the how-tos, we gave them a miss as an official bake-along this month. But we think we've come up with the perfect way to pay homage to this iconic bread basket staple and hopefully learn something new along the way. That's right. So join us as we step into the gadget garage for a little muffin tin magic to discuss some new and fun muffin variations you may not have considered, as well as all of the intriguing other things you can do with your muffin tin. First of all, an observation. In researching this mini-segment, it occurred to me that muffins may have the most variations of nearly any bake, short of their next of kin, cupcakes. There are literally thousands of recipes out there. We could start listing them today, Andrea, and be here till next September. (laughs) And I think it's because 
of all the reasons we've already mentioned. They're easy and quick, and often the first thing a new baker tackles since they're pretty foolproof with readily available ingredients. I mean, who doesn't love a muffin? But moving beyond everyone's favorite pumpkin or blueberry muffin, have you considered hybrid muffins? Those with a breakfast bent include French toast, churro, cinnamon roll, and PB&J. Don't forget, we even made one back in episode 144 when we did the cinnamon sugar donut muffins from the Girl Who Bakes blog. And I have to admit to wanting to try the creme brulee muffin from Nikki (laughs) at Chef in Training, since I would love an excuse to eat creme brulee for breakfast. (laughs) Those sound delicious, but you never need an excuse to eat creme brulee for breakfast. (laughs) Yay! The incredible edible egg is fast friends with the muffin tin. From bacon egg and cheese cups, Denver omelet cups, mini frittatas, mini quiches, mini huevos rancheros. Many people are familiar with these type of egg dishes whipped up in muffin tins, but did you know you can hard boil eggs in your oven using a muffin tin? Oh no, I've never tried that. Yeah, so apparently you just put the whole unpeeled egg into the muffin tin and bake for about 30 minutes at 350 degrees. Then you put them directly in a cold water bath when you take them out, and that's it. That does sound like a terrific idea when you need to do a bunch at once for fast grab-and-go breakfast or if you're making a big batch of egg or potato salad. My favorite muffin tin use at breakfast time is mini Italian frittatas. The recipe I use most is from the Barefoot Contessa, Ina Garten. And, of course, you won't be surprised to know I use it as more of a template or a guide. (laughs) I often substitute onions for leeks, bacon for prosciutto, and use up whatever cheese I have on hand instead of what's specified in the recipe. Andrea, another trend in muffins is to fill the core with something yummy. Samantha at Five Heart Home has a mixed berry muffin with a cream cheese center that looks beautiful and delicious. And another Sam at Sugar Spun Run has a chocolate muffin with a peanut butter core. I mean, say no more. (laughs) (laughs) And I liked the variation over at Recipe Tin Eats. Blogger Nagi has a jumbo bacon and egg muffin with a whole egg baked into the middle. It's really unexpected, and it reminds me of British picnic pies, which often have the same thing. An obvious bonus to baking in a muffin tin is built-in portion control. That's why things like single-serve pies, cheesecakes, and even deep-dish pizza are so popular. Personally, I'm a big fan of the mini no-bake cheesecakes from Sally's Baking Addiction, and they're super easy to make gluten-free if you use a gluten-free graham cracker or cookie for the crust. But muffin tins also help with serving. Instead of standing and cutting slices of these items for your guest, you can have them popped out of the pan in minutes. We know a lot of our listeners love to make pecan tassies at holiday time. That's a classic pie-cookie hybrid that relies on a mini muffin tin. And I find there's just something about minis and single servings that makes people happy. For that reason, muffin tins can also help you make great appetizers. From mini filo spanakopitas to mac and cheese bites, you can whip up a big batch and serve with ease. Andrea, we've done our share of muffin tin magic on the show over the years. Remember our mini peanut butter cups from episode 99, pecan sticky buns from 159, smoked Gouda dinner muffins from 146, and starting it all off way back in season 1, episode 22, Queen Amon. What's striking about that list is how varied it is, from candy to a fancy French-style pastry. Just proving that the muffin tin is so versatile. And speaking of versatility, the muffin tin works as well in your freezer as it does in your oven. 
I like to freeze lemon juice and homemade chicken stock in muffin tins for a perfectly portioned amount that's easy to store once I pop it out of the tin and into a Ziploc bag. You can also measure out eggs, butter, sour cream, buttermilk, or many of the ingredients we spoke about back in episode 173 as being good to freeze and have ready-to-go portions at your fingertips. Likewise, don't overlook your muffin tin to help you get ahead when scooping ice cream. You can do the scooping ahead of time, then pop the balls into your muffin tin where they'll retain their shape until you're ready to serve them. Do consider lining your muffin tin if you're concerned about sticking. And how about smoothie packs? Assemble ingredients for your smoothie base, like yogurt and mashed banana or some other soft fruit, freeze together in a muffin tin, then simply grab and pop into your blender when you're ready to whirl. My attention was captured by a recipe on delish.com for cookie dough bowls. Essentially, you press chocolate chip cookie dough into the muffin tin, freeze for several hours, then pop out the molded edible bowl and fill with ice cream. This recipe is eggless and I think a great jumping off point for endless variations. Peanut butter cookie, gingerbread, sugar cookie. (laughs) Speaking of cookies, one of my favorite cookbooks is Dory's Cookies by Dory Greenspan. And one of her tricks is using metal ring molds to produce cookies that are very uniform in size with super straight sides and they're incredibly stackable, perfect for making a gift. Alas, I did not want to spend a bunch of money on metal ring molds. So guess what I used instead? A muffin tin? Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) Baking ginger molasses cookies and fruit-filled jammers in a muffin tin has been so much fun for me. Also, veering back to breakfast, see what I did there? Mm -hmm. Consider granola cups. Using that same basic method of the muffin tin as a mold, press in granola mixture, bake it, and serve. Same with baked oatmeal. Perfectly portioned and ready to go when made in a muffin tin. There's really no stopping this muffin tin magic. What about individual servings of soup? Or flavored ice cubes for punch bowls and large jugs of cocktails. Brownie bites. Molten chocolate cakes. Is there anything the muffin tin can't do? (laughs) Well, there's lots of non-baking related uses for it also. And speaking of 20 for 20, to help listeners clear clutter, consider using an older muffin tin that may be past its prime as a way to corral small stuff like nails, batteries, paper clips, push pins, rubber bands, basically the contents of my junk drawer. Or if you're looking for a tidy way to dole out condiments at your next barbecue, they work great for serving too. Simply fill each space with ketchup, mustard, mayo, pickle relish, or what about toppings like sprinkles, coconut, and chocolate chips at your next ice cream sundae bar? Sometimes the same old snacks are just more fun when they're served in a new way. How about using your tin for crudite or cheese and crackers? Or a variety of finger foods from olives to nuts? And finally, don't forget that a muffin tin can sub in for other specialized pans, most notably a popover pan. Don't have one? Sub your mighty muffin tin. And if that's not enough, don't forget to flip it. You can make homemade baked taco salad shells by draping fresh tortillas over jumbo tins. And listener Sarah makes big, thin ice cream cookie cups by turning her tin upside down. Any way you look at it, the muffin tin is indeed magical. Of course, though we focus mainly on sweets and breakfast bakes today, you can imagine there's a ton of dinners and appetizers you can whip up in your muffin tins too, from mini cheeseburgers to spaghetti and meatball bites. We'll link to our sources, including one of my favorites, the Muffin Tin Cookbook, in the show sheets for this episode, which is episode 193, so you can take a look. And listeners, be sure to let us know how you make magic with your muffin tins. 
Drop us a note at host at preheatedpodcast.com or leave us a voice message at 802-276-0788. Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get the sprinkles on top of this episode. We release new shows every Monday morning. Next week, we're up with a review of the Cheddar and Bacon Quiche and we'll intro my original twist on a Betty Crocker classic, a peach skillet pancake. And speaking of flapjacks, we'll have a rundown of pancake possibilities. From new ingredients to new ways to serve them, we think you'll flip. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram, where we're at Preheated Pod. And if you like our show, please rate, review, and recommend us on your favorite platforms. Until next time, I'm Stephen Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions. Half a teaspoon of ground black... (laughs) Yeah!